Good morning. Ooh, that's a little hot, guys. All right, so that is a new ladies' Bible study uh, that is coming up. Uh, Crystal McBrayer is hosting that. That's going to start in September. Ladies, if you're interested in that, you can see Crystal. Where's Crystal at? There's Crystal. Stand up so everybody can see where you are, Crystal. I know that you enjoy that, right? This is Crystal, ladies. And so if you're interested in starting this ladies' Bible study, it's six weeks. That means it should last around 18 to 24 months, something like that, right? But, but uh, if you all see her, she can give you information about it. It's $10 to be involved in that Bible study, ladies. And it sounds like it'll be very exciting, be good stuff. Matthew chapter 7 is where I invite you to take your Bible and turn to. We had a great night last night. We had 15 men that rode over. It took one van to get there, two vans to get back, but we rode over to Bass Pro Shop and we were able to walk around and dream big dreams about hunting stuff and fishing stuff. And then we also went to Texas Day Brazil and the gentleman uh, introduced me to the experience that is Texas Day Brazil. So guys, thank you all so much. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun for me. And if you missed out on that, then I understand we're going back next week or something like that. They, got, they were talking about going back many, many times. So uh, this morning, uh, I, I'm excited that you're here. Uh, we're at the start with August. We're at the start of going back to school, all that. Everybody's really excited about that, right? We're at the start of a lot of new things in the church, and nominating committee is uh, working and contacting you folks about what God's placed on your heart. So just an exciting time at Friendship Baptist, and I hope that you're finding a place to connect with it. We had, uh, I think, 18, 19 people that were in our Connect class this morning, so excited about that. Just, uh, things are going, a lot, of, a lot of really exciting things are happening at Friendship, and this can ruin it right here, this sermon. You ready? This is one of the most controversial, most misinterpreted, most wrongly used verses I believe in all of Scripture, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. So we want to cover verses 1 through 6 today. I invite you to look along with me in your copy of God's Word. If you didn't bring one, then you can share maybe with somebody, maybe bring one next week when you come back. But Matthew chapter 7, especially verse 1, is one of the most misinterpreted, often misused verses and passages of Scripture in all of Scripture. And it is absolutely ruining us. It's just absolutely ruining us. The scripture would say, if you would read with me in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. Seems pretty simple, right? It's so simple, in fact, let's, let's just stop right there for a second and see if we can wrap our minds around this. Jesus says, judge not. What happens? that you be not judged. So I want you to take, if you have them, all right? We, we welcome all kinds of people, all right? But if you have two fingers, one on each hand, I want you to take one finger, one on your right hand, one on your left hand. Now, if you don't have two fingers, then you can still spiritually, mentally participate, all right? But here's what I'd like to ask you to do, everybody. Come on, even the cool kids, ready? Two fingers. And I want you to show me with these two fingers... A foot, the distance of 12 inches, by just simply moving your two fingers to where they are 12 inches apart. 12 inches apart, and then lock it in. So we want to see everybody here has 12. Some of you are asking a friend, which is wise, is this 12 inches? Does this look 12 inches to you? All right. So we have 12 inches. How many of you feel like you're 
you've got it right. Just nod your head. Don't move your fingers, but you, you know, yeah, I got it right, right? So here's what we would do then. We would just simply take tape measure, and let's see. Pork chop's right here in the front. Pork chop, you feel like you got it right? Pork chop's got it right, all right? Pork chop. Pork chop is right at 12 inches perfectly. He's perfect in so many ways. Amen? All right? Trent, let's see it, man. What you got? 12 inches. Trent knows this, right? Trent, that's easy. All right? So Trent is at 11 and a half. Conservative. Conservative, right? <laughs> Conservative estimate, right? So let me ask you this question. We like Trent. I think 11 and a half is, that's close enough. Don't you think? I mean, 11 and a half, I mean, let's, let's not be stringent in this. But if Trent says 11 and a half inches is a foot, let's just call that a foot. Wouldn't that work? I mean, how many of you builders, you would say, hey, that's no problem, right? No problem. If you're building a house and everything that you measure, and it's supposed to be 12 inches, it's just 11 and a half, that's not going to really make a difference, is it? Is it? But what if he says, I changed my mind, instead of 11 and a half being a foot, let's just, sometimes it's 11 and a quarter. Would that be okay? You know, we drove over today from, uh, from our house, uh, and I say our house in Saltillo. We only have one, don't be misled. <laughs> from our Saltillo house. Uh, we drove over today, and you know, I didn't do anything wrong. It, it took me eight minutes to get here. I mean, just eight minutes. But I didn't do anything wrong, Right? Brad, that's no problem there, right, Brad? All I did, just like all of you, right? All I did was get in my vehicle, I cranked it up, just like many of you did, and I drove to church. But I didn't do anything wrong. It only took me eight minutes to get here, and you shouldn't even judge that it took me eight minutes. I mean, Scripture says here that we're not supposed to judge. Is that what Scripture says? You see, the, the challenge for us here is this, is that we have to think, remember this? Jesus is teaching in this passage of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, and He is teaching about thinking. You see, the, the Jewish people, they have the Old Testament law, and it, it's, it's very stringent, it's, it's written there. Many of you have attempted to read it, and you said, no, I just give up. But, but we try to see the Old Testament law. These people listening to Jesus, they've lived that Old Testament law. In fact, the Pharisees who Jesus is addressing in his crowd, they have taken that Old Testament law and they have embellished it in such a way where they have told them specifically how many steps they can literally take on a Sabbath. How many good deeds they can actually do. They've taken the Old Testament and they've added hundreds of of specific laws that go along with the law that God has already revealed, just so you know exactly what's right and exactly what's wrong. And it's trapped people. So then Jesus comes back and he says, judge not. And it's not something that we can just use as a weapon, but it's something that we have to engage mentally in. What happens in our world if we don't have judgments about what is afoot, well, our world is off, literally. What happens if we don't have judgments about what the speed limit is, what the rules for engaging one another are, what the proper attire for public is, which is often challenged at Walmart, I found. 
So we find here, we have to, if, in order for us, and again, let, let's just not talk about practical stuff, but let's take it to the ultimate step. Let's talk about spiritual things. How do we know anything if we do not have some level of judgment, some, some standard by which we have as a guide for us? So as we look at this passage of Scripture, we look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, understand this clearly. There's more Bible there. <laughs> There's more teaching there. So if you have a favorite memory verse, and it is Matthew 7, 1, and you say, I've got that one down, and I use that every day, can I invite you? Look with me. Let's look at more of the Bible, and let's think about what Jesus has said. Here's what he says in verse 2. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. It kind of is like he says in verse 1, don't judge, but you're going to. And so know that the judgment that you use, then that's going to be the same one that says, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Now, think about this, church. Does it say there that there's not a speck in my brother's eye? No, there's been some determination, some judgment that there is a speck. But the problem is how we see that speck. It says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log, the telephone pole, if you will, that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And don't miss verse 6, because normally we just stop this teaching at verse 5, but I think verse 6 is intentionally, not just with the translators, but with how Jesus preaches this, I think it's linked together. He says, do not give dogs what is holy. It seemed a lot easier when we could just deal with the judge not. But he says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you i got to tell you that verse 6, I, that's kind of tricky. So walk with me through if you don't mind, and let's think about this concept. Is Jesus saying don't ever judge, there is no judgment, there is no standard, there is no rule for life, there is no rule for spirituality, there is no guide for living in any kind of way. Is Jesus saying that, or is Jesus saying more than that? You see, the understanding would be this for me. I believe that, and a very simple statement, is that we need actually more judgment. We just need to learn to do it right. We need, specifically within the church, we need more biblical judgment the way that Jesus would want us to judge. We need more of a standard. We need to see the standard, and we need to be called to live by that standard. Here's what this means. You ready? So the first question I come to is this. In kingdom judgment, if we're looking at what the kingdom of God is all about and how judging works, we've got to answer this question, what does it mean to judge? What does it mean to judge the way that Jesus is using judge, not just here, but how it would relate and fit perfectly within all of Scripture? So there's two words. Here we go. The first is this, is act. The act of judging. In other words, the job. Whose job is it to judge? Well, from Scripture, we would understand, from the teaching of all of Scripture, we would see that the ultimate judge is God Himself. Now, our culture is going to wrestle with that, folks, and so we want to think about this from a, a practical, perhaps an apologetic standpoint. You see, the concept is that God was here before anything was created. 
before anything was here, that God is, he does not have a birthday, he does not have a date when he was created, when he began, there was not an explosion and then there's God, but there's God. And God exists in perfect unity within the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This has always been, and it will always be. And so as we understand that God has always been here, then he then becomes for us the way he reveals himself to us. We know him as first and foremost, the creator. And so he is the one that said, hey, here's the world and here's how the world works. Here's how the world is to function. Here's how the world is to revolve. And you say, oh, no, science discovered that back in such and such day. Can I tell you something? we are discovering still who God is. That doesn't change who God is. That doesn't make God something new just because we discover it. So we find here that God has always existed, and then when He creates the world, He reveals Himself as being our Creator. So as He creates, He's the one who designed how it's supposed to work. So as He designs how it's supposed to work, He is the one that defines for us that there is judgment in the world. There is standard in the world. There is a certain process by which it has to go by or it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. How many of you have ever put, it just popped into my mind, we're trying to put batteries in a flashlight. Now what's the indicator that I did that right? It turns on. Right? Somebody like, I wasn't thinking that. No, it turns on. That's how we know, right? You ever put batteries in, the, in backwards? You ever done that? So when you, what do you do? This is what I did. And I was, I was questioning my, my trustworthiness. I put batteries in a, ba- in a flashlight. Put it in the flashlight. Turn it on. No light. Turn it off for safety reasons, obviously. So I turn it off. I take the batteries out. And what am I supposed to do? I... Flip them over, put them in, screw the top on, flip on the switch. Still no light. Guess what I do next? Flip the switch off. I take the batteries out. Where am I going with this? How many different ways can two D batteries fit in a flashlight? And I'm sitting there going, yeah, this part of work this time. Can you believe it? The third time and the fourth time and the fifth time? And the sixth time, my wife thought I was crazy. She's, you know, it's still not working. Guess what? Something else is wrong. So here's what I do, because I'm an expert in flashlights. I threw that thing away. You say, oh, well, you could have disassembled it to have a disassembled flashlight. That's about where that gets me. I know nothing else about how to fix a flashlight. The batteries are going to go in one of two ways. And if that's not it, garbage. That's my understanding of it. God, on the other hand, being the designer and creator of everything, by simply speaking, he knows how everything is supposed to work. So therefore, he alone ultimately holds the act of judge. He's able to look at the world and say, that's not how I created it to be. That's not how it's supposed to be. He has earned the right to sit as judge because he's the only one that can repair what's broken. He's the only one. So get this. 
So then after God creates the world, then it tells us, the scripture tells us, that he takes the dirt and he fashions with his hand, he fashions mankind. He fashions the first man, Adam. He fashions him. He makes him. And you say, oh, wow, what does that tell us about God? He reveals himself not just as creator of the world, but creator of us. So as he looks at how he created us, he alone is the one that holds the ultimate role where he can sit and he can say, I did not design you to look like that, to act like that, to be like that. I am the designer. Get that? And we would say, I don't like that very much. And I would say to you respectfully, and don't misinterpret this. You see, God is the one that's earned the right to sit as judge. So what that means for us, when Jesus says, judge not, he does not disqualify any judgment. But he also, now you're going to see this, he does not give the green light for all of us to sit in the role of God, to say, well, I'm going to be God here, and I'm going to determine your value. I'm going to determine your worth. I'm going to determine if I like you or not. I'm going to determine even if you're likable or not. But no, instead, what God has said through Jesus, he has revealed to us. He says, now there's going to be judgment here. Yes, definitely. But let's understand, ultimately, who acts in judgment. That's God. Hebrews 9.27, and I want to ask you to consider this. You're visiting with us perhaps today for the first time. I want to ask you to consider this with me. Hebrews 9.27 says this, For it is destined that man will die once. You say, I don't like that. It's going to happen. It has been set for me that I will die. This physical death, I will die. And so it's been set that man would die once, and then what Hebrews 9.27, whoever the author is, would say to us, he would say, and then face judgment. So when I die, I'm going to do that one time physically, and then when I die physically, I will stand before God. Now let me ask you to think with me, church. What's my creator? When he looks at me, in that judgment, what's he going to do? He's going to identify, hey, I created you to meet this standard. And he didn't. He did. That's judgment. So the act then, we have to understand, it's not primarily our responsibility where we say, I'm the one that judges. I'm the ultimate, I'm the ultimate judge. But we say, no, it is God who sits in that seat. The other A is this, is the attitude. It's the attitude re regarding judgment. And the attitude goes something like this. The attitude involves analyzing and evaluating. And so what we would find then, because we are created in the image, we're not the ultimate judge, but we are created in the image of God, that you and I analyze and evaluate constantly. We do this in a variety of creative ways. Some of them are wonderful, like inches, or if you're British, centimeters, or whatever it might be for you, right? We talk about miles per hour. We talk about speed limits. We talk about all these different things, because wouldn't you think, hey, when we have this level of judgment, this level of standard for us, it makes life function in a proper way. That's kind of the idea behind law giving, behind us having rules and guidelines. But we understand that we live with this ability because God's given it to us. We can analyze and evaluate, and we often do. I would ask how many of you have scales, but based on last night's trip, we don't want to talk about that. All right, so here's the idea. 
So we analyze and evaluate, but if we're not the ultimate judge, we have to recognize we do have this tendency or this ability. It's all around us. It's all around us to analyze and evaluate. So the concept in judge not, lest you be judged, then is not about the act of judging, who is the ultimate judge, but it becomes more about our attitude in that when we judge, who are we representing? Who are we representing? You see, since I'm part of the kingdom of God, I therefore I have this ability to analyze and evaluate, and I live in this culture that's constantly analyzing and evaluating, but I'm still not the sole evaluator. I'm not the ultimate analyzer. So therefore, I have to go and submit my judgment to the ultimate judge. My attitude of judgment has to fall in line with God's attitude of judgment. What that basically means simply is this. If God says you're valuable, then you're valuable. If God says you're loved, then you're loved. If God has said it for you, if God has said it about you, if God said it for your life, then it is true. And so now I'm falling underneath the umbrella of God's judgment, and I would only serve as a representative of God if my judgment lines up with his. So here's what Jesus gets into for us. How can I then biblically judge? How can I then in this world we live in, how can I live with a healthy way of evaluating and analyzing things? I don't just say, hey, everything's great just like it is. Everything's wonderful. But I say instead, what has God said? So here's what the scripture tells us. It's going to be four simple things. All right, four simple things. If you want to fill these in on your sermon notes. He tells us this, first we know the truth. We know the truth. Jesus says, in fact, in John 8, 32, that he himself is the truth. So what we find is this, and we hear verses about Scripture so, so normally. It's just so common for us as believers, and that's good. What does Jesus mean when he says that he is the truth? He is then, it seems, he is the expression of God. That is John 1.14. He is the expression of God. It is the word of God that has come in such a way in a man's form where we can see God in a human form. That's Jesus. But when he says that he's truth, that means that he is the standard for us. That he is the one that we measure ourselves up to. That he's the one that we come to and we say, what is pleasing to God? What is right before God? What is it that says that God says this is good, this is bad, this is okay? So we, we practice three things. And I want to I submit these. If you pull this up, buddy, all right, up here with the uh, PowerPoint. So go ahead and pull up all three if you don't mind, all right? So here's the concept. This is in your notes. And you'll hear me talk about this a good bit. Because for me, the Old Testament is often very confusing. It's very confusing, all right? And be very careful as you represent God as a kingdom representative, you walk in with Christ, be very careful that you don't take one verse out of the Old Testament and use that as the ultimate God for all of your life. Okay? All right? Don't plant two crops side by side. Do not touch the carcass of a dead animal. That ruins football season, Clint. Ruins it. Right? So don't take just one verse and say, oh, Old Testament says this. Boom, there we go. 
But instead, Josh McDowell introduced this to me through his book, Right From Wrong. And he talks about this three-step process. With everything that we see in Scripture, every decision that we have to make, we want to make it in light of God being the ultimate source of truth. He is the one that determines this is right, this is wrong, this is pleasing to me as creator, this is not why I created this to be this way. So he talks about these three P words. He says, first, there's this precept. So what we find in Scripture, we say, what does God say? The thing that I would challenge you in church is to join with me. And let's continue to pursue Bible reading on a regular basis. In fact, maybe we talked about Wednesday night, maybe even going deeper into Bible reading to where maybe we're even memorizing Scripture or studying Scripture. Here's why. Because we need to know what God's Word says. If you don't know what God's Word says, that precept of what God's Word actually says, then you have no foundation for a biblical opinion. Does that make sense? Let me express to you something that I believe firmly that I have no foundation for whatsoever. No. So we have to become, again, students of the Word, people of the book. That's how we as Southern Baptists have traditionally been known. So I encourage you. We go to God's Word with number one precept, and we say, what does the Bible say? All right? Now, for everything, and we'll take one that's uh, pretty simple, but it gets me into a lot of trouble. Let's do it. So let's take one of the, uh, one of the Ten Commandments. Y'all ever heard of those Ten Commandments? Yeah, the Ten Commandments. What's the Ten Commandment we can take? Let's just, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble, because anytime audience participation, there's always some Yahoo who's trying to mess with me. Uh, ten Commandments. Who knows one of the Ten Commandments? Have no graven images, all right? You should have no graven images. Let's vote to see if that's one of the ten. No, I'm kidding. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's like, I don't think that's it. I don't remember that one, all right? Let's have no graven images, right? God has said then, what does he say? Precept, have no graven images, all right? Well, that's challenging in our culture. I'm not sure I like that one. So let's do this. Now, we go to the principle, and we ask this question. It's a big question in our culture. Why? Why did God say not to have graven images? You ever think about that? We're just studying the Bible together, and as we're studying the Bible, we read there, Ten Commandments, those sound important. Have no graven images. Why would God say not to have graven images? So we begin to mentally search God's Word. We begin to mentally ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. And we begin to think thoughts, big thoughts here, challenging thoughts, where we say, well, maybe God wants to be the center of all of our worship. Maybe God wants to be the only one that we love. Maybe God doesn't want us to be distracted by the world and all the things, the graven images that the world present. So therefore, it's not just simply a precept, I'm just going to follow this law that I don't understand. But now... We're making it happen. We're allowing this to make sense in our lives. So we say, precept, no graven images. Boo, we don't like that. But why did God say that? Well, maybe God just wants to be the center of our love. And if he's the center of our love, whoa, that means that he loves us. And he doesn't want to share us with anyone else. He doesn't want to compete for our attention. He doesn't want to compete for our affection. Because he wants us just to be zoned in on loving him with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength. Everything. So then, I catch it. You say, well, I'm still a little unclear there about the why. So then we look at the person. Have no graven images. That's the precept. The principle is because God wants us 
to love him and him alone. But now we look at the person of Jesus Christ. How has Jesus demonstrated this, modeled this for us, allowed this to come to life as God in human form? How do we see this in Jesus Christ? So we see here the love that God has for us in Jesus. That God has said, hey, as you're worshiping wood, or in our age, maybe metal, or maybe even technology, don't preach, Pastor. But as you're worshiping these graven images, look at Jesus Christ. Look at how he's shown you how much God loves you. Look at how he's died for you to purchase you, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 6. So we know the truth then, and church, we can't jump past this. We can't just skip over this. Well, I didn't like that. We have to engage here to say, if I'm going to represent God, and I'm going to judge in a way that honors God, that is bringing glory to God, then I've got to make sure, I've got to make sure that I'm knowing His Word, that I'm challenging in a healthy way, practicing his word asking the why question about why is this in scripture why do we have this in scripture we have students all the time in biblical interpretation they say i just don't understand why this is in here rip it out no no we can't do that it reveals to us even the parts of the bible we don't understand it's god speaking and he then by his holy spirit is inviting us saying come and see how this could apply to your life And so we ask why questions, and then we say, I still don't get it fully. So now here's an example of Jesus. Here's a man who lived it out. Here's a man who said, don't pursue after something that's empty. Pursue after man that is God that dies for you so that you can have a relationship with him. So to judge, we've got to know what the truth is, and we've got to settle that there is such a thing as absolute truth. If God said it, that settles it. Number two, then we see ourselves and receive grace. So if you're in Matthew 7, you see this, for with the, verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's a lot of you in that. I mean, there's a whole lot of you in that, isn't there? It says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't see the log that's in your own eye? So Jesus says here, in order for us to judge And as a representative of God, to honor God as we make decisions, we must first take the truth of his word, what's revealed in precept, principle, and person, and then here's where it starts, right here with me. Right here with me. You ever read the Bible? And I know you guys, most of y'all are are, are really strong Christians, and so this is going to be humiliating to me. You ready? You ever read the Bible, and you land on a verse, and you're like, man, so-and-so needs to read that verse. Hmm. Boy, if they read that verse, they probably get right. You know what's true in that moment? And I'm not saying that Scripture doesn't speak to all people. But what's true in that moment is that God's speaking to me. Now, and you say, well, maybe He's telling you to go tell them. Well, but first, He's speaking to me. It's a beautiful thing about having a relationship with God. He's not throwing darts at you, baby. He's trying to talk to us. He's trying to show us his love. He's inviting us to have a relationship with him. And so as we read scripture, we have to guard against this concept that all of scripture is a tool, or if you will, a weapon that should be used against people. We have to guard against that kind of thinking. 
But instead, we embrace this kind of thinking that we see ourselves first. That we see God is speaking to me. Now, when God speaks to me, also understand this, it reveals to us ugly parts of our lives. James would say that the word of God is like looking in a mirror. And it reveals not, and listen, we were walking out last night at Texas Day Brazil, and they have, craziest thing, a giant mirror there at the exit. How many of you guys that went, y'all saw that giant mirror? Did y'all see that giant mirror? Joey did, he's fixing his hair. So we, we see here then, there's this mirror that's there. And I thought, how offensive. I actually thought it was one of those carnival mirrors. You ever seen that where the, you know, it's, Kind of does this to you and makes your head bigger and stuff. I was like, whoa, how much did we eat, right? Here's the concept. You can trust what the Word of God says. And the Word of God's purpose is never to leave you in shame. What Jesus Christ has done on the cross is never to leave you in shame. But the Word of God, it allows you to see yourself as God sees you. It allows God to speak to you personally. And then allows you to know how to get grace. Oh, God. I'm reading in your word, and I'm seeing some things here in my life that are missing. As you're judging me and providing a standard of what my life should look like, I'm seeing I just don't measure up. Guess what? Here's the good news. He doesn't want you to stay in the shame and the guilt. He wants you to embrace it, receive it, and get that grace. Now, third, he says this. Catch this. He tells us that we are responsible for guiding other believers. So look with me in verse 5. In verse 5, Jesus says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. So there I saw myself, and I received grace. I said, hey, here's the judgment of God in my life. He's found something in my life. He's revealed something in my life that shouldn't be there. So God, now I confess that to you, and now I receive your forgiveness and your grace. But he says also in verse 5, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So the judgment where I get involved in judgment does involve this. If I'm going to help other Christians grow spiritually, then if I see sin in their lives, they can't see. You ever had that? You ever had sin in your life you couldn't see? And my wife, she's wonderful. She does this. She helps me out a lot with this. She says, oh, fourth piece of cheesecake, huh? You know what she's saying? Spiritually, she's nurturing me. That's what I tell myself. That's what I tell myself. But she's saying, hey, listen, wow. You see, I don't think that always in every situation that when we see a brother's sin that we're supposed to um, be blunt. That's hard for me. Sometimes it is necessary. I do know this, that when we see another brother in sin, if you ever enjoy pointing out their sin, you've put yourself in the place of God. I know that personally. That if ever I see a brother stumbling in sin and I get excited because I can point it out to him, then I am not a servant of God in judgment. Because the purpose of us serving God is always this desire for restoration. So the scripture says there will come a time then when after I've seen my sin and after I've allowed the Holy Spirit to deal with my sin, I've confessed my sin and received forgiveness, then there is a certain responsibility that I have, according to verse 5. I will be able to then clearly see 
to help, if you allow me to interpret this, that I can help my fellow Christian in their sin. Not so that I would humiliate them for enjoyment's sake. Not so that I would be lifted up as the person who has all the information. You know what's going on next door? I know what's going on next door. Let me tell you what's going on next door. Listen, be at your house. Love your neighbor. There's two ways we guide other believers. One is this, in belief. And that means very simply, we help each other learn who God is and grow in our faith. So if you say, well, I know that I have a loved one in my life who's in sin. I'm not sure what to do. Here's what you do. You look at your sin first. You get right with God first. You confess your sin to God. You be open to this idea that God needs to work in you. And then as God leads you, secondly, what you would do, you have a loved one in sin, we would go to that loved one in sin, and we would say, and I believe here's the word, gently. Gently is how we would start. Gently, we would say, hey, listen, my goal is to help you grow closer to Jesus. I want to do that. And one thing that I try to do, don't always do this perfectly, then I ask permission. Can you and I talk about something that I see in your life that could be a stumbling block for you? Can you and I, can I share with you, would you allow me permission to share with you? You say, well, what about the hellfire and brimstone, Brother Casey? Well, there might be a time for that. But as we serve to honor God, we would say, not, woo, you got a log in your eye, see it, man, you can't do anything about it, it's hilarious. No, we would say, oh my, my heart's broken for you. And my ultimate desire, my ultimate goal is to help you become more like Jesus, is to help you walk with Jesus. Can I help you? Can I come along beside you? Folks, and this is just, you know, maybe personal. I want to I represent what the Holy Spirit leads me to say. But anytime that you walk up to your brother and you want to flick something out of their eye and run off without accountability or responsibility, be careful. You see, if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to, to come to a, a fellow Christian, and say, hey, you're struggling with this sin, then you, I would encourage you, be prepared to pledge to them to help them for as long as it's needed. I think we represent God and honor Him best this way. So there's belief. Sometimes we don't have great belief, and we need to strengthen or grow in our faith. But also there's practice. So as you read through Scripture, you're going to encounter things like Galatians 6.1 that talks about how we're supposed to love one another, how we're supposed to hold each other accountable, how we're supposed to uh, lift one another up, but also how we're supposed to call sin, sin in each other's lives. Let's see if we can tackle verse 6. Verse 6 again, it says, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So it's a complicated passage. Let me see if I can touch on it. I think we have a calling to practice discernment in our relationships. I think we have a calling to practice discernment in our relationships. And what that means for us is this. Um, number one, I can't speak with great authority about the question, does God ever give up on someone? Because we're limited. We're, 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 we're very constrained to time and vision. 
So I want to be careful to say that I've seen God give up on somebody. I can't tell you that I have. I would tell you that grace is available. And I just want to live and encourage other people to live with this understanding that grace is available. Grace is available. Grace is available. But then as I read through Proverbs, not to counter that, but to support that, I would say this. There are some people who do not want to receive correction. Now, Proverbs would tell us this. There's the fool. And Proverbs tells us very, very, very specifically that arguing with a fool is a waste of time. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't pray for fools. Amen? That doesn't mean that we don't look for opportunities for a fool to stop being foolish. But if you find yourself in a relationship with someone who is constantly a fool, constantly closed off to any kind of understanding or reception of the gospel, then be very careful there. Practice discernment there. How much time do we spend arguing with a fool? Scripture says don't argue with a fool. Some would come, and you know, and I love this uh, with students. I love this with people as we study the Bible together. Well, I found a passage of Scripture. I bet you don't know what it means. You're right. See ya. I mean, I don't have anything else, guys. Here's the concept. If you want to just argue Scripture, not so that we can find any kind of growth or any kind of maturity in any kind of way, but just so that we can argue for a while, see pork chop. I mean, I, 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 got, I got nothing for you. I mean, I... If you want to talk about hard passages of Scripture so that we can be transformed more into the image of Christ in your heart and my heart is to know more of His Word, come on. Let's talk about it together. If you're trying to disprove me, embarrass me, something like that, defile my God, no thanks. No thanks. An angry person, it talks about. It talks about being... Being careful, using discernment. I say not you when you pray for an angry person. It says here that as we engage an angry person, that we need to be very wise. Wise in how we talk to these people. Wise in how we approach them. Oh, you seem really fired up right now. Let me tell you about Jesus. I don't know if that's really working for us, is it? Maybe we need to be selective in the time and when we approach someone. Maybe we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leadership in that. And the third one that Proverbs talks about is this, is the scoffer. <laughs> That's what a scoffer says. That's what a scoffer does. That's why I call him a scoffer. Scoff. Scoff. <laughs> scoffer doesn't want to believe anything. Scoffer doesn't want to be persuaded. Scoffer doesn't want to hear truth and respond to truth. Now, do we ever go to a scoffer? I think there's opportunity. Do we pray for a scoffer? Absolutely. But when they're constantly rejecting, 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 is there ever a time where we say, hey, the way I'm going about this and telling you about God's love and God's judgment, it's not working. So I'm going to back off. And church, I wish I could give you specific instructions, so this is the best I can do. In my spiritual life, there is a gas pedal and there's a brake. In every relationship, there's a gas pedal and there's a brake. Sometimes one of the best things I can do is to learn to stop talking. You say, amen. Amen. 
Sometimes the best thing I could do is say, hey, here's a great opportunity. Let's go for it. Can I pray for you? Father in heaven, we want to judge. I want to judge. Lord, I think that this is, uh, I think it's something that's in our culture. I think it's something, if you will, that's in essence, it's in our blood. So God, we pray that you would teach us how to use judgment in a way that honors you. Lord, I pray for Friendship Baptist Church that you here and beginning right here today in this room would you teach us to look at ourselves? And would you give us a heart that's sensitive to helping others see and find and know you? Forgive us for where we stumble. And thank you for your grace. As the praise team leads us, Maybe today you come in and you say, hey, I need, I need less judgment. I need a less critical attitude, a less critical spirit in my life. I know it's not as easy as hearing a sermon and just stopping. Come on, we're, we're, we're more mature than that. So can I tell you, we want to lift you up. We want to pray for you. Maybe your tongue and your judgment has been condemning. Can I ask you to have a conversation with the Lord and just receive forgiveness and receive that reminder that He walks with you and that no man can tame the tongue, but God lives inside of you and will guide you each word you say and each decision you make. Maybe today you say, hey, I'm crying out and I'm hungry for accountable relationships. Maybe today you say, I, I need my spouse to ask me some hard questions. Or maybe you say, I need a brother. Or, or ladies, you would say, I need a sister in Christ who would ask me some hard questions about my spiritual journey, about my spiritual walk. Would you ask the Lord right now? Just ask Him. Let this be the first of many prayers where you would begin to say, God, Bring someone into my life. Bring someone into my life who will love me enough to accept me in my sin but not leave me there. Bring someone in my life that will point out both the speck and the log and do it with such love, generosity, sensitivity that I would be encouraged and equipped through my relationships with my church family to walk with you. Church, as you pray, would you worship with our praise team? As the Lord leads you, we're here to serve. But let the Holy Spirit guide you.